The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Amelia Elizabeth Lati, holds a PhD in psychology and is an internationally renowned speaker on positive psychology, leadership, and high performance. Dr. Lati is the founder of the Positive Psychology Association of Finland and the creator of a nonprofit called Sisu Not Silence that promotes action and research around nonviolence and active compassion in all domains of human life. Her newest book is Gentle Power, A Revolution in How We Think, Lead, and Succeed Using the Finnish Art of Sisu. Her essay, The Unsung Beauty of Ordinary Enlightenment, appears in the July-August 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Elizabeth, welcome to Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you. (laughs) <laughs> well, you're you're projecting. You don't mm. know that yet. <laughs> let's let's assume that you feel that way at the end. So I appreciate that. I've read that. your essay and I've read parts of your new book, Gentle Power. So I can say it's an honor to talk to you. Mm. You're you're hopeful that it's an honor to talk to me, and I'm <laughs> hopeful you'll still feel that way at the end. But I tell you what, before we get into your book, Gentle Power and your essay. Let's talk about your name. I'm sure people notice that I introduced you as Amelia, and I, then I said hello as using your middle name. So let, let's be clear, because there's a story behind how you refer to yourself. So let's start with that. Yes, I was born here as Amelia Elizabeth, but it's very common in Finland that you would either, you would go with, let's say, your first initial, with the first name. And as I was approaching my 40s, which seems to be a very magical time for the for the psyche of uh, any woman and any man, I started to do a bit of integrative work on how the past decades have been. And for me, those decades involved researching inner force and life force and this inner fortitude that is what Sisu denotes. And we'll go back, go into it more deeper. But it was a time of quite a lot of effort being put into what I was doing and overcoming extremely hard things. And what I later realized a couple of years ago or learned was that my first name, Emilia, it comes from a Greek word or it's a female name that comes from Amelianus, which means to rival, to excel and to compete. And then I also learned that my second name, Elizabeth, uh, it actually roots to he- a Hebrew female name 
which I might, I hope I'm not mispronouncing this too badly, but it's Elisheva, which translates to as God is my oath. And when you look at both of these two, for me, there is a very clear distinction between the Amelia, which was this more yang and harsh and tough approach to life because it had to be. And then this transition into a softer, more of a surrender. And these are both sides to Sisu that need to be there for Sisu to be balanced. And that's what I call gentle power. So it's a beautiful coincidence that this was the name that I was given. So it's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's your middle name and you're moving into middle life and Mm. you're making this shift. Of course, I I love the way you pronounce the word fortitude. You said fortitude. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. yeah, So (laughs) as a psychologist, you know, Mm. it was, you know, we're going to, we'll put a call into, you know, Dr. Freud, Dr. Freud, you want it on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little Freudian insight there. Fortitude, Mm. like you move into your 40s and you discover this this shift. (laughs) Oh, yes. I am just... That's why it's an honor to talk to me, because I am just filled with all these meaningless <laughs> bits of insight. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting thing. I, I mm. wonder, you know, as you were saying that, I wonder if that isn't somewhat true for for lots of people. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, 40, I'm almost... Well, I'm in my mid-70s, so so 40 was a long time ago. Mm. But I wonder if as people move into midlife, they there isn't this, this natural shift for many people, regardless of sex and gender, and maybe regardless of culture. I don't know. I mean, you, you could talk to this, where they, they are striving to make a name for themselves as sort of an egoic striving in the first half of life, and then... And, and we could talk about why this might be, but then a discovery that surrender is the deeper path. Mm. Is, is that, I mean, did you discover something like that, that surrendering to these greater forces that are going to naturally, but not not negatively, but naturally take you deeper into a, a, a more spiritual understanding of life? Does that start to happen as you move into your midlife and then later life? There seems to be a transition like that, which I'm, I'm reminded of a little quote that I read in, in the autobiography of Carl Jung. This was very recent. And there's a little snippet where Jung said that he has never met a client who is struggling or, or in the process of individuation who would have not been brought to this place of spiritual seeking in the in that time of midlife that's what he observed in his practice that there's some kind of a process or a functionality in the psyche because it's it's according to jung its direction is to be able to understand itself and find liberation and find freedom so it keeps bringing those events and life situations where we get to actually work through things that prevent us from having that clearer understanding. And I think you're very correct when you say that in the beginning years of our lives, 
we tend to be so full of that even life force, you know, testosterone from men and women are busy. You know, we, we all have our things that we're doing. And it seems to follow this kind of a curve that we have to build. We have to almost like a seed. It has to burst through the ground and grow toward the sun. It's, it's what we're here to do. We're here to experience. And then slowly life will start to give way for us to be diminished and become smaller. And then something else will get to start to express itself through us, I guess. So you mentioned the word Sisu. It's a Finnish word, I'm assuming. I don't know if it translates into English at all. But tell us what it means. And tell us if it speaks directly to the Finnish psyche and if it then has some application on a more global level. Is it a universal concept or is it mm. coming from and speaking to something that is uniquely Finnish? Mm. That's a great question. So Sisu, it's spelled S-I-S-U, and it is its etymology um, goes back in Finland about 500 years. It is one of the most essential words of our Finnish culture, actually. Um, it denotes literally the insides or the intestines. You could call it that it is the gut, the guts. So it is denoting that which is interior. And it is so essential to the Finnish culture that some people say that you can't understand Finland or Finns without understanding Sisu. And it refers to this kind of unyielding, unrelenting mindset and response in a moment when we are facing extreme adversity. And we seem to have come to a place where we have consumed all of our preconceived mental, physical capacities or energy. And yet, as many of us have seen and witnessed in our friends and our families and in our own lives, there is often to be discovered something more, almost like a spare tank of energy, a second wind, when we don't just yet give up. And our lives are full of these kinds of stories, which when they're happening, they often almost seem like as if they're magic, because from somewhere we're able to tap into new renewed uh, source of power and energy. And it is also about taking action against very slim odds. So Sisu is not your minor nuisance kind of a response, but it is in a moment where there is actual depletion or really a loss of faith almost. And while Sisu is a Finnish word, culturally, and to understand Sisu, you have to just know a little bit about the Finnish history that we're sandwiched, so to speak, between Sweden and Russia. And the history goes all the way, for example, to the Winter War, during which the Soviet army, the Red Army, invaded Finland. And this war lasted 408 days, but Finland was able to retain and keep their their independence, and the war ended with a peace treaty at the end of those 108 days. And during that time, just from people observing Finland from outside, they're looking at this situation, this mammoth army invading this tiny little country or demanding certain areas, land areas for themselves. And the Finnish president at that time refused 
And so that looked like a suicide to the other nations from outside because of the sheer size difference. So that is often in the case of Sisu, that is, it is where the underdog, something looks like it's impossible, and yet we unearth the strength and power. So it is a Finnish cultural concept, but Sisu as a quality and a capacity and a life force, it denotes a universal quality that all humans have, that we have these energies and reserves that we, I would say that they are not lost. It simply so often happens that when we're living in the busyness of daily life, that this kind of an autopilot takes over and we forget all these times that we have overcome, we sometimes can lose touch with this life force that is literally running through our veins. There is the fire in the belly as well, so to speak. So that is the power reserve that we all have. And it's very much useful to meditate on and to really bring into practice in one's life, no matter where one is from. So I want to explore that with you a little bit more, but you brought up something that we ne- almost, I was going to say never, but maybe I guess don't remember. So I'm going to say almost never talk about on this podcast, and that's political, geopolitical issues. But you mentioned Russia and or the Soviet Union, and you've just had a major shift in Finland this past April, where Finland decided to move from non-aligned status to joining NATO. Uh, you know, F- Finland shares, a, obviously, you know this, Finland shares a border with Russia. That's, I mean, it's over 1,300 kilometers. I guess that's around 830 miles, something like that. Mm. And all of a sudden, I mean, you, you've got a whole new relationship with Russia because now you're part of NATO. Mm. And I'm wondering not that you're a political scientist or that you have any you know, special insight. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But as someone who is coming from not only this place of positive psychology, but from this insight into Sisu and gentle power, how you feel about this shift, how you feel about what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, and I mean, literally, you're on the border of, of all this violence. If you were going to to suggest next moves for your own country, what might you suggest from that perspective? Well, Rabbi Rami, I do have to say that I am not a political science researcher, and but looking from this vantage point, what I see here in my homeland, that it really divides opinions. These happenings from the last from the springtime, but if I were to direct this conversation a little bit to a more broader scene and what I would wish for my home country and I what I would wish for maybe us as a human family more globally as well and how to tie Sisu into that is to really start to hold in high reverence this idea of Sisu as an invitation which it really is to use it as a tool for developing our personal leadership. So instead of looking outside and projecting that what someone else should do and what are the dynamics here and there, sometimes it's a really convenient way to not look at ourselves 
and our own personal development, character development that we have to do, and really bring that focus into the into the inner war zone of my own life, which is something that we're all involved in, in all of those moments, which I describe these little moments of alchemy on everyday life, where whether I'm able to keep my heart open to other people or whether I let my heart contract. And this applies to things like, you know, when we speak of leadership, we do have to have the hard conversations and that's where Sisu comes into place, into play, that it really is an invitation to be very honest, stand our ground, not beat around the bush. So it really to live Sisu, it asks a lot from us. And then to use Sisu as gentle power, it, it begs the question of not just what we do, but how we do what we do. So not to do Sisu and just be only tough and hard at all cost but to be humble enough, which I think goes into that question about how with maturity, we oftentimes in the later parts or the second half of our lives, we start to grow enough humility to actually as leaders, be able to have more compassion for other people, because it's not so much about conquering and making our own legacy. And that's where we move into Sisu as a constructive quality, which is about not just what we do, but about how we do what we do. And in my opinion, and from my vantage point, answering this question and living it true in our lives, even if it's very tough sometimes, is a tool that is one little tiny thing that can actually help shift the direction of the human family. And to me, it really is a question endlessly worth answering to. Fair enough. I, I, I follow what you're saying. I, and I, I agree that the true revolution has got to happen inside each individual. Otherwise, there's not going to be any change. In, in your response, though, I, I want to see if we can bring in that other element you mentioned before I mm. sidetracked us with the issue of Russia. <laughs> you know, the that that second wind or or the the mm. you know the the unknown energy that you tap into when you're you know living this when you're living life from or when you're using this the art of Sisu. My my sense is is that this this greater dimension that we're tapping into isn't doesn't belong to us. I guess I said this something similar before, but it doesn't belong to us. I, I don't know if you want to call it God or spirit or you know I don't you know I don't really care what you what name you want to give it, mm. but it's it's some I'm, I'm going to say it's some universal force. Sometimes in, in the Jewish tradition, it's called chayut or aliveness. Mm. Uh, some some infinite aliveness that you and I as living, and all living beings, but you and I as living beings can tap into that gives us power beyond the isolated self, if there is an isolated self, which is, I think, a delusion. But anyway, it gives us this incredible power to do extraordinary things. And it's it's tapping into that that allows us to be to 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 function or or to 
you know, to engage the art of Sisu and to live from this gentle power in a way that we couldn't if we were just acting out from the egoic. Does that does that make sense to you? Mm. Yes, yes, it does. And um, you know, as a researcher, to tackle a topic which is goes into that realm that you're speaking about, um, even just calling it life force, is a complete scientific nightmare. <laughs> because it is impossible to quantify with the methods that we have. And it obviously will take us into this broader conversation around what's the nature of this life for, where, where does it come from? But we still, as humans, I mean, there is the mystery of what is this breath the first time when we, when an infant is born and we take that breath of air and we are alive. And when that air leaves us, the, the body is dead. And that was actually the way for the early philosophers to determine whether a thing was alive, was that it was moving. And secondly, there was an air, the pneuma, also called ki, chi, with many names, prana. It seems that all traditions refer to it in some ways. So, and what I keep seeing is when I interview people on Sisu, why it has actually remained so elusive until I started to do the research about 10 years ago. There was really no peer-reviewed work on Sisu. And what I noticed was people had really hard time explaining what it was. So oftentimes they would run out of words or they would say and describe it that it's like magic, um, which is often a way to describe something that we can't fully express. And that it, it really is core of the essence of Sisu, that it's always, even though it's hard to explain, what it does, though, is that we hardly ever fail to recognize it in action. So when we see someone overcome something extremely tough, whether it's in family context or someone is pioneering something for the good of humanity, some kind of sports excellent performance where a person excels, those are those moments when we push beyond a existing boundary, which seems to be very essential to the human quality, especially in that time, as we were discussing in the in the first decades of our lives, there seems to be this draw that life wants to experience itself. It wants to feel itself. And then from there, it starts to tra transition into a, a different kind of being, which I think you, <laughs> Rami, have a lot to say about because you're far into that season of life where I'm only beginning my journey. <laughs> a very nice way of saying you're old. I'm old and you're not. Okay, yeah. I get it. That's very nice. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Uh, well, I don't mind being old. I have mm. no problem with that. My my seven-year-old grandson tries to find euphemisms for telling me I'm old. As you can say I'm an old man. It's okay. I don't mind. Mm. You, you know, you have both in your book, Gentle Power, and in the essay, The Unsung Beauty of Ordinary Enlightenment, in the current issue of Spirituality and Health magazine, you have a real way, you're, you're a wordsmith. There are some phrases in the essay that are just, they just sort of popped out at me. And I, and I want to, in the time we have left, I just want to comment, not comment, I want to bring a couple of them to light and ask you to comment on them. One of them 
is the phrase inner sobriety. Mm. What, what do you have in mind when you say inner sobriety? Mm. Oh, thank you so much for reminding me of that. Inner sobriety to me refers to an ability to, to a quality that I, I do believe is very essential for living a good life and also will be and is a foundation for us building better societies. And it's a way to discern between options, to be able to know truth from lie. A very important quality for this time that we're living in, which really will test our ability to be able to tell who to trust, what to read, what to to what side to be on something. And that's a tricky thing because no one can really do the work for you. It is a it is a quality that we have to uh, develop in ourselves, and I do like that idea of the inner sobriety because sob- sober means that we are clear. There's nothing that's interfering the broadcast, so to speak. But it's one of those things that it's a lifelong process. It's taken me a long time to to learn some of the basic things about life. Yeah, all the more crucial, I would think, in in this period of, I don't know, post-truth where, you know, I, I think, I think the, they have this phrase, I, I'm going to say in English, but I think this, this thing in, in Russian, nothing is true and everything is possible. Mm. And, and that's sort of what happens, I don't know about Finland, but in the United States, it's the same. I mean, nothing is true. You don't know what to believe. Everything is a conspiracy theory. But when I read the notion of inner, your phrase, inner sobriety, and just listening to you now, there is a way to be clear if you you can sort of free yourself from the the distortion and attain this inner sobriety and then you can you you know if things are ringing true or not so i think it's a twofold path if that's the correct expression that on one hand it is about having a dialogue and communicating with people and trying to discern what things are, what do they look like. So having a really open dialogue. But what I've noticed in my own life, and maybe this is me going past the 40s, but really the need to root my own thinking and my actions and my decisions into silence. So that could be done through prayer for someone. For me, it's prayer. It is spending increasing time with meditation, with the breath. And I would say that in this time where there are increasing amounts and different kinds of drum rolls and drum beats that are begging for our attention and trying to distract, distract us. But when one starts to really hold on to the sound and beat of their own heartbeat, we're able to push aside all those noises that aren't actually us. And I do believe that a person who who doesn't have some kind of a practice that will root them into their heart, into their body, uh, into their spirit, they are more easily maybe influenced or might feel anxious over all these crisscrossing demands and these opinions. So on one hand, finding information and really educating ourselves, having sober conversations with our friends, having the courage to ask the questions, to have the hard, to ask the hard questions. And then on one hand, 
having a daily practice that roots us into that inner quest as well. Yeah, which really fits with the, the closing of your essay and actually the closing of our conversation. So let, let me just read you mm. and for our, our listeners, read the last couple of sentences of your essay in Spirituality Health Magazine, and then have you comment on that. Because it's another phrase that you gift us with, this phrase of the sacred grind of, ev of the everyday. So here, here's the context, and then tell us more about the sacred grind. You write, Sisu is a philosophy of unfolding. Um, no, sorry, let me <laughs> put the spacing in there better. Sisu is a philosophy of unfolding the divine through what we humans do at our best. Show up to the sacred grind of the everyday and do what must be done. I'm going to read it one more time because it's so concise mm. and powerful. Sisu is a philosophy unfolding the divine through what we humans do at our best. Show up to the sacred grind of the everyday and do what must be done. Talk to us about the sacred grind of the everyday. Mm, the sacred grind. I'm reminded of the, the opening story of this, the essay, where I mention something that Ram Das described in a lecture from, I don't know, maybe 60s or 70s. And he was struggling with his own spiritual process and wanting to get ahead, that he felt that he had realized a lot of things and wanted to progress more. And then he was having this conversation inside his own head. And this voice inside his head asked him that, so Ram Das, you know, like, you are human, right? And Ram Das said, yes, correct. And this voice said, well, why don't you take the curriculum? So this idea behind the sacred grind is that it is, and I'm speaking for my, to myself actually in this essay, that there were times when it was so mm, attractive to get so lost in the spiritual process and in the endless conversations and understanding something and having new insights. And at the same time, what the invitation actually is in my life is that how well at the end of the day Am I able to show up to those people in my life, to the spouse who's there in flesh and blood and bone, needing my heart to be open? And it is so easy to, to disregard these things because they can get really mundane. And, and, but the call of this essay is really to elevate the sacred in that everyday experience and find the path to the divine through that, because we will never run out of material. And I think it'll be a, a fine bridge to walk. <laughs> very powerful, very clear. And I thank you very much. Our guest today, Elizabeth Lati, is the author of Gentle Power, A Revolution in How We Think, Lead, and Succeed Using the Finnish Art of Sisu. Her essay, The Unsung Beauty of Ordinary Enlightenment, appears in the July-August 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about her work at her website, sisulab.com. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast, and I hope it really was an honor. 
It truly was. I was just going to say <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and it's always an honor to work with him. And our executive producer is Zach Avery, also an honor to work with Zach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.